0: Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you will hear Associate Director of Youth and Community Programs, Jasmine yep Wynn, in conversation with scenic and lighting designer, David Finn. This episode was recorded on Sunday, March 31st, 2019, before a performance of Program 6, Space Between. Hope you enjoy. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to San Francisco Ballet. On behalf of Artistic Director and Principal Choreographer Helgi Thomason, we are pleased to welcome you to Program 6, Space Between, and today's Meet the Artist interview. I'm Jasmine Yepwin, and I'm your host today. I'm the Associate Director of Youth and Community Programs at the Department of Education and Training. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. Um, He is... No stranger to the opera house, and some of you might recognize him from previous Meet the Artist interviews, it is our scenic and lighting designer, David Finn. Please welcome him. Um, a few housekeeping notes before we get started and really dive into the ballets today, I want to remind you that you can re-listen to all of the Meet the Artist interviews and the Points of View and our To the Point podcasts on our website, sfballet.org. And for more information about our education programs and our audience engagement programs, you can visit page 12 in your program book. And of course, your program book is filled with lots of other information um, about the two ballets that we might not Have as much time to talk about today. Today's performance opens with um, "Rodeo" for dance episodes to Aaron Copland's "Rodeo." And then the second ballet is by Liam Scarlett, which you were the scenic and lighting designer for, that we will really dive deep into. And then the third one is Arthur Pita's Bjork Ballet, which, by raise of hands, how many of you saw Rodeo and Bjork Ballet before last season? Fantastic. You're ready for this program, aren't you? All right. Well, thank you so much, David, for joining me today. We're really excited to see this piece. Um, The Chronicle just put a review in very late last night, and um, it's very exciting to have a new work. Uh, You've worked with Liam Scarlett on a number of pieces here at the Opera House, Hummingbird, um, Frankenstein, uh, and...
1: That's it here.
0: That's it here. Yeah.
1: We did Swan Lake last year for the Royal Ballet, and um, we had a piece uh, early on in... um, (laughs) I'm forgetting the name of it now, but we had a piece early on with the Royal Ballet about uh, uh, Jack the Ripper, Ripper and the uh, Sickert paintings. Um, John McFarlane designed that piece.
0: Very happy things. Yeah. Yes. Always happy. Always happy. Always happy. Um, you're no stranger to the ballet world. And actually, I was just saying as we were coming in that this is kind of his home court. Um, you do a lot for SF opera and SF ballet. You've worked with Helgi Thomason, um, Swimmer, um, with Yuri Posakov. So, from fiery, fierce death scenes in Frankenstein to, like, pool parties and Swimmer. Yes. Um, lots of fun things. I'm going to kind of jump into a little historical info here. Um, you also worked with Baryshnikov in White Oak Dance Project from That's 1993 right. ten, to 2000. Ten years, yeah. Ten beautiful years. Um, and you've done work with Cirque du Soleil.
1: Yes. So Working fun. on my third piece right now.
0: All right. So um, tell us a little bit about this new ballet, um, how the lighting for, and I'm going to try to say this, but I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Detotenzel. Um The Isle of the Dead. Um, based on a beautiful piece of artwork from early 1907, I believe.
1: Bachlin, yeah.
0: um And how did you translate this um, dark story through lights and, and kind of explain the process of it?
1: Um, the process is always uh, what it is with Liam. He's all over the world. He's choreographing all the time. Um, Liam tends to dive Full force into what he's doing at any given moment. So, to get him on Skype or on the phone or anything is a task in and of itself. Um, We started talking about this piece about a year ago, and uh, he just told me it was uh, uh, based on the Rachmaninoff piece uh, that was, um, um, and, and the piece by Bachlin, Isle of the Dead. And he said, I want there to be something that signifies an orbit. And (laughs) he left it at that. And then he didn't talk for months. And I sketched things. And I said, because at that moment, he said, I don't know if I want a set. Uh, uh, Liam always likes to use the black space. And he likes to use entrances that come out of nowhere. when we first did Hummingbird, and I th- and also uh, Fearful Symmetries, <clears throat> um, I, when I when I was getting into this business, I worked with Jennifer Tipton, who's you probably all know. She's was lighting designer for Robbins and for great many wonderful choreographers, Tharp, Paul Taylor, and I worked a lot with Santo laquasto and And one of my jobs was to constantly set. Um, uh, the, the Philip Glass piece um, oh god I'm trying to remember the name of it the, the, not Glass Pieces but it's, it was uh, it, it, it was a piece that used haze in it um, and in the upper room um, Norma Kamali did the costumes and, and it was we can't do it here because it requires haze and you can't use haze on this stage one of the only stages in the world you can't use haze on but that's another story but we so we had uh, of haze in the space that it had to be even and it was always trying to get the temperatures right in the house but what Santa L'Equasto came up with was something incredibly simple was a ribbon drop at the back we call it the car wash which is basically cut ribbons that are six to eight inches wide and they're black velour and the dancers can just walk through them and they can just disappear and if you have something on the stage that distracts you from that and you don't get any light up there, then it can be a very magical thing. Um, so we've used that technique here again. And um, getting back to what this piece was about, we, we were talking about, I, so I figured we would use that idea. But then what you need to do is you, you need to have something that distracts you from that, as I say, it takes your eye away from what's going on up there. And I couldn't, I tried everything with the Orbit. We talked about revolving light fixtures. It's very technically complicated. We talked about other objects revolving around the stage. I I thought about, okay, do I just use light to to bring the source from around the stage? But I thought, that's not going to work. It's going to be too boring. So I knew that he wanted to emphasize this journey from, you know, into another world, whether what you take from that you'll, you'll you, you, it's all your own story tonight. But, um, you know, it's, it's we, wanted to, we wanted to find a way, something that offered a gravitational pull. And I, I threw, I think a dozen ideas at Liam. He didn't bite on one. I, whether he was too busy or he just didn't like them, I don't know, but we, I threw them all out, never heard anything. I got down to two that I really loved, neither one which is on stage tonight. And um, again, he just said, no, it's just not, not what I want. Maybe some of them were too literal. I was, I, was, I love this painting by Bachlin. I don't know if you've seen this painting, but it's this rock outcrop in, a, in the water with cypress trees and this figure, lone figure being rowed out to the island. And I thought, you know, should we hang cypress trees on the stage and put a light inside that makes shadows of it? I thought this was a fantastic idea. He, he didn't want any part of it. Anyways, I, um, so we, I just continued to think about this idea of orbit, about journey. And then I saw his um, rehearsal room video that he did in October. And it just became so clear to me that we were on the, I was on the wrong path from the beginning And I understood what he wanted, and it really was more about gravitational pull, about pulling you into, you know, having that pull bring you along in that journey. And that's how we got to where we are now.
0: So no cypress trees. No cypress Um, (laughs) trees. No cypress trees that that really, you'll see those cypress trees if you look at the um, painting, um. And you know, listening to the music, there's that um, that feeling of oars and waves lapping. Right. And um, there's no waves. There's no haze. Nope, no haze. No cypress trees. Um, haze would have isn't.
1: been lovely, but next time.
0: Um, and can we talk a little bit about? Um, how How the music um, and it 's got these Gregorian chants from the mass of the dead um, and it really creates this landscape um, how the the movement in their bodies it's the undulations and the waves, and um, the painting itself um, how you kind of had to scrap those ideas and then what what those six um, we have six principal characters who really come through in this piece, how do you play? Um, or how do they play in your light in different
1: ways? Well, it, it, what it becomes after you see that the element on stage, which there are various names for, um, I, I just call it the sun, the moon, what, the orb. But what it becomes, it, as far as the lighting, it's, it, it, I knew that if I could find this simple element that, um, and I knew once I knew what this element was, that I could use it in a very simple way and I would be 75% of the way there, that it would make my life so much easier once I got into the theater. We have very little time. You know, we have a morning to light the show uh, before we start, and then we have an afternoon, uh, and then we have a couple of rehearsals. So you you have to have a strong idea coming in, and I knew if I had that strong idea, and I went back to incandescent light sources, no color in it, just dead simple, warm light. And the playing with the idea of intensity, once you play with that do you get the, the red curve as it comes down, the, uh, the, the lighting gets lower, that I could just play with that, the subtleties of that, and I would be half done. As far as the principles are concerned, everything else about the ballet for me is about focus. So it really becomes an idea of separation. You'll see, when you see the piece today, you'll see that there are layers there's principles, there's um, sort of a second tier of dancers, and then there's a core. Um, sometimes there are two couples on stage. we've layered it in what we where we want you to we, where we want to bring a little bit more attention. Some are in more chiaroscuro, sort of backlight or sidelight, and the others are clearly lit. so we define we can define space and, and those principles through through that mechanism, but the um, the 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 fixture itself, the big sun, provides the the basis for everything.
0: So I I know that you can't speak for choreographer Liam Scarlett, um, but what do you think um, you and him want the audience to leave um, feeling after seeing
1: this? You know, I think it's. Um, I th- it's it's a it's it's a much more impactful piece than I think any of us thought it would be. I think even for Liam. Um, I think everybody's going to take away something different. M- myself, it's about it's about the ghosts in our life, about the people who have passed on and revisit us in ways whether our dreams or our, it's about making that connection, making and then preparing yourself for that journey. Um, But I think what's lovely about the piece is that I've had people come and see it already and everybody's taken away something different from it. And that's really where great art comes to bear. You know, it's when, when you can have a personal experience that's impactful.
0: Beautiful, that's why we do live theater and live dance. Do you have a favorite moment in this ballet in
1: Daytona Um I think my favorite moment is when the curtain goes up. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It's my, I think it is my favorite moment. and it's, It was an accident. Um, and we saw it, and we just kept it. And it's, it's very beautiful. I wish I could change the orchestra lights, but that's... <laughs> Hold on, They said when the orchestra came in, all of a sudden the full power of the orchestra lights with the sheet music on it just sort of—I lost a little bit. But you know, it's—it's only a little bit. And uh, other than that, uh, it's—you know—it's—it's held its ground.
0: We were talking backstage. You mentioned seeing it from different levels. You've seen it from the orchestra. Um, The world premiere was on Friday. Friday, um, and so this is the second performance of it, and you're going to be seeing it from a different level. When you design ballets, whether it's scenic or lighting, do you think about how, um, how audience members might experience it at different levels? a
1: different level? Absolutely. Yeah. There are some theaters where I know I have to go sit on the side. The problem is is when you're, because you have so little time, and my job is, a I can only do my work as a lighting designer in the theater. As a set designer, you can have much more time to prepare, but um, and you can do models and make sure it really is is and, 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 and we did all that work and it worked out. So that was all good. But as a lighting designer, the toughest thing is that your, your work starts the moment you walk in here. And then you've got, I don't know how many people on, you know, on the job, on the hour, and you've got a company that's trying to be efficient with its budget, especially in this day and age with this kind of art form. And all over the world, it's the same problem. And you have to work fast, and you just have to take advantage of every little moment, every little, you know, um, possibility. But, uh, you know, here they have such a big setup that it's hard for them to transfer it upstairs. If I work at Royal Ballet, we always have the general on the, in the king's box, or not the king's box, but the, the, the first mezzanine. And... Um, then you get that opportunity to see the floor. Here we have, a, a, what they do to here, which is one of the reasons I don't need to go up there, is that um, they have a video camera up there and they have the video monitor there, so I can see that angle. At least on video, it's not the best quality, but I can at least see, these, see if there's anything glaring that's, that's not right.
0: We don't have a King's box and we yeah. don't yeah. allow haze yeah. and we have lights that bleed from the um, sheet music.
1: There's a pro- there are other problems everywhere. It's not, there, don't, don't worry about it. Every theater has its own problem. It's not just, just here.
0: What makes us unique and wonderful here in the I, Opera House?
1: I have to say, the, the, the crew here, you, you just can walk in and know that you've, they've got your back. I mean, it's just... I've worked with these, some of these people for... I was going to... I have not talked to Helgi yet, but I, I've been looking in my... Um, I was looking at the pieces I've done here And I did Aurora Polaris, I think it was 1989, this is 30 years that I came and did my first piece here. I lived in New York. Santo LoCosto brought me out, brought me out. It was a piece that he did for a a dancer who was leaving the company at that time. And um, I've known some of these people since then. Um, But you come in here that every department is just amazing what they do and, and, and now, here at the ballet, they have an amazing lighting supervisor they have a, a great production director. Um, you know i did this i 've been've op- this is my fourth opening in the last two months and um, i 've been out of town, and so this, the, the orb the sun that you 're going to see I only saw it in pictures I, I, I gave it i did the drawings, I did the sketches i I did all of that. Handed it over to the San Francisco, you know, uh, opera ballets, um, scenes department. They did an amazing job. I mean, it is exactly what we had on paper. I did. I saw the pictures, and I was like, I don't. I don't need to come in and see it. It looks great. I'm so glad you did. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's the. the I I just have to say that the the that's my favorite thing about coming here is that i know that i can walk in everybody's professional everybody knows what they're doing there's no fooling around you just, you just get down to the work and get it done That's
0: great. Um, yes big kudos to our crew all the men and women doing amazing work back there um, they're, they're hiding back there but they do amazing and incredible work every day on every program um, i'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about how you got started in lighting design and scenic design um, You got bit by the theater bug at a very young age. Um, And how did you find your path into this specific part of that arts
1: world? So um, my parents were in the theater. My father was an academic. He taught acting and directing. And my mother was an actress, started out as an actress, and then she became a high school teacher, teaching creative drama, and then she went on to become one of the most famous casting directors in Hollywood. But that's a whole other story. But prior to that, um, my father started with his best friend, a theater in Holland, Michigan, which is where I grew up. And it was called the Hope Summer Repertory Theater. And so from the age of eight, I, it was my summer job. I'd go in, I was, they gave me $25 and I was called The Grip. And I, you know, I just, it'd be like, go, I was a gopher. Just go get this, go get that. And um, I worked every summer there. Um, until I was, my, my father made a silly deal with me. He said, I'll double your pay every year you work for me. And he didn't think through think it to get through. <laughs> and then when I came back as a, like I was a senior in high school or something like that, he was like, I can't afford you this summer. <laughs> You're gonna have to go find another job. <laughs> um, that, those last, you know, steps after 10 years, they just, they get, they jump up high. So he that was like, dinner. he didn't think about that. Um, but that's how I got started and I went to school out east and then um, uh, I had sort of a run of the theater department I went to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire and had the run of the theater department there and it was great professors and um, also majored in history and and just had a great time there but then I went straight to New York and um, so my 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 mother and father moved from Michigan to Hollywood when I left um, high school. They were sort of free and they could do what they wanted. And my mother decided that she wanted to do something else. And so she she didn't want to be a director, producer, actress anymore. She decided, okay, I want to, but I want to be with all those people. And she found casting. casting, And she was 42 and she decided she'd just go and start knocking on doors. And it was the same, you know, it was, it was just a couple years later. I was out of college and I was in New York doing the same thing. So we were sort of doing looking for work at the same time as somebody just starting off in our careers, and, you know, she ultimately went on to become a famous cast director, and then I, I wrote, one of the things she said is, go to the drama bookstore, look up, get the union card, find out all the designers in the union, find out their addresses, write them a note saying you'll come watch, you'll, you'll get their coffee, you'll do whatever, which is what she did, and, um, and, you know, I wrote a letter to Jennifer Tipton. It went in her file, and three years later, she pulled it out and called me and said, I'm, you know, and I had a, a meeting with her assistant, and it was for a job to be the assistant designer on Jerome Robbins Broadway, and she wanted somebody, she taught at Yale, and she, she wanted somebody who didn't go to Yale Graduate School because they would come out of Yale Graduate School and just start being a lighting designer, and she needed assistants who were going to stick with things. So they would always, you know, she'd put them on jobs, but then they were all t- always too busy if the, if the, if the piece took off, and so she's like, "I need to find somebody doing it." So I was in production at that point, and she said, "Well, if the piece go- works, then you have to just stick with it." So, I, I I got I got the job with her and and assisted her for five years and assisted her with Paul Taylor, Dwight Tharp, uh, Agnes DeMille. Um, Uh, Jerome Robbins uh, I mean great and um, I ended up setting all those pieces being her assistant she would send me to do all the Jerry Robbins pieces all the Tharp pieces I got a job with the Tharp Company Um, I ended up designing for Twyla and then got a job with you know I, I did the Twyla Misha tour I don't know if you remember that It was 1993 they went all over the country it was called cutting up that she had put together and then you know she won't talk to me anymore because I went to work for Misha after that and then it was a big problem ah, jump <laughs> and up. yeah so that's how I got into dance and Misha gave me I think I designed a couple of dozen pieces over those years in that company so he gave me a lot of opportunity not just to be their supervisor but to be a designer as well
0: so it sounds like you got some great advice from your mom about how to really drive and start up. What advice would you have for um, the 8-year-old who doesn't know that he or she wants to be a lighting designer or a scenic designer yet, but is is r- getting paid $25 for a summer job?
1: I don't know. Um, or
0: the 18-year-old who might be interested. You know, I, th-
1: I think the still the most magical moments for me is walking through a stage door. And it's, um, you sort of develop a, you know, it becomes your church in a way. And I think that if you if you just sort of, you know, live in it and, and start to meet the people that, I mean, you know, people that you get to work with, these incredible artists all the time. And they're my best friends all over the world, these people that I work with, you know, John McFarlane, Francois Girard, the director I work with, you know, Michael Levine. They're fantastic people. They're, they're the people I socialize with when I'm out of town and, and always get them to come out to the house when they're here. It's, it's um, you know, I think it's just relish in it. Know that it's special. Because that's why we do it, you know, because it's, it's something special to us.
0: You are about to see something incredibly special on stage. Um, the three ballets today are beautiful, stunning. They take you on different journeys. Um, I wanted to open the, um, this time up. We have a few minutes for questions from the audience. So if you have any questions, um, please raise your hand nice and high um, and speak loudly. I'll try to repeat the questions, but if you can project, that'll help me. Yes sorry <laughs> all right so the question was um what is haze and how how do we make haze here in well not here but in other theaters
1: okay so I, I mean i'm i live in the bay area and i i love these people that were here i'm going to work i'm, gonna, I'm doing Rizalka for the opera in, in um, june as well um it's a production we started at chicago lyric it's coming here and we have a special issue with haze in a lot of theaters, you use haze. What haze is, is it just gives you this mist in the air, right? It's a smoke, it's a, it's a man-made smoke. It's a, there's a slight chemical base to it, but a lot of it's um, mixed with water, and, and, and it gives this, you have these machines that blast it out. When you do this, you blast it out in the space, let it settle, and it just gives you this. And you can see the beams of light in the air, and it's lovely. You know, if you do the ring cycle without haze, like, you know, you just, you, every time you've see, if you've been to see the ring cycle, not here, but somewhere else, then you probably would have seen haze or smoke or a lot of things. There, you know, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the uh, union contract here of the performers on stage that they won't allow haze in the space, which is, it's, it's an ongoing thing for designers like myself, I have my own opinion. I know they do too, and, and there are reasons that they have that, and we abide by that. But it's just that this theater doesn't allow it. That's all. That's dry ice. So which you can use here. Um, but that, she's talking about the, the stuff that flows across the floor. That's, that's dry. So if you see Swan Lake or something. Exactly. Sort of, yes.
0: You see a lot of dry ice yes. here. <laughs> Instead of haze. Um, yes, ma'am. With the, the sun. So the question is, what, at what point do we start putting the lights on the dancers?
1: So for example, with the Totenintzel, we Went on stage last Sunday. And we had them, they give, the, here they give, every theater's different, um, but here they gave us the morning to create the light cues for the first time. Look at, we have light walkers that come on stage and we tell them where to stand. And I, I, I need to know the choreography by then, so I study the choreography, I take notes. Um, and then we have, they give you an afternoon where Liam has three hours on stage to run through the piece a couple of times and do notes and things like that, so I get to see it. It's usually a mess the first time, then you have to just take massive amounts of notes and try to get them done. Then um, we had a, a, a rehearsal Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning they gave me two hours on a bare stage. There are a lot of things that I can't do on top of rehearsals, it just goes by too fast. So like, you know, I have, t- this this piece for me is, very few like cues I think there are 20 like cues in the piece and over 27 minutes but I've done third pieces with 50 like cues or 100 and so you know if they go by that fast you need to see it go by and just see the mistakes take the notes and come back and fix them when you have time and be in your calm but that's and then we had two dress rehearsals Thursday and Friday
0: we have time for one more question yes ma'am in the back. Ah, the question is, um, how was it working with Jerome Robbins or on jerome robbins 's Broadway?
1: <laughs> this is a that would be a very long story i can 't go into it, the whole story but um, when I assisted Jennifer on Jerome Robbins' Broadway, he demanded fourteen weeks of tech and he demanded fourteen weeks of previews and Jennifer was there for the entire tech period, and I was the first of three assistant lighting designers at that point on Broadway. I was the first, then there was the second who basically helped me, and then there was a third who did Foul Spots. And, you know, the crew was great, but (laughs) the the first day of previews, we had a technical rehearsal, and um, it started at one, and I had a job assisting a theater consultant downtown, and I was late. And I walked in five minutes late to him on stage screaming, "Where the f is the assistant lighting designer?" Jennifer wasn't there, so I ran to the desk. And for four hours, he battered me. He, all he did was lighting. And he had done lighting for th- the last three weeks. Jennifer 30 hadn't said a word, and now it was all about lighting. And in the middle of it, he said, "Strip the foul spots." And this is an old 40s Broadway term. I had no clue what it meant. And the, the fall spot operators all knew what it meant, but they wouldn't help me out at all. And I just was left there flailing. And I left that rehearsal. I went upstairs. I got on the payphone. I was in tears. I called my mother and I said, I, I can't do this. I'm out. And she's like, no, no, no. Just, just, it was just a bad day. Don't worry about it like that. And I came downstairs and he was sitting on the side of the stage reading a, a note. And he goes, you. And I was like, you know, I did one of these. And he, and he said, meet me at Orso's in 10 minutes. And we went, and we had an incredible dinner, and he told me all these stories about Broadway and la-la-la. And, and I never had any trouble from him after that at all. And I just stood my ground during the day. I did the best job I can. He realized, I think, that I wanted to do a good job, even if I didn't know what I was doing. And um, there you go. Well.
0: Um, I am getting signed that we are out of time, but thank you so much for sharing such amazing stories about the work that you've done, um, the talent on stage. Everyone, thank you so much for coming out and supporting San Francisco Ballet. I hope you enjoyed today's performance. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programs, check out sfballet.org or your favorite podcast player.